Wasn't that incredible? That was awesome. Is Jonathan Duncan in the room? Jonathan, are you in the room? Raise your hand. If not, if you guys don't know who Jonathan Duncan is, he's incredible. He videoed and edited this entire video. So can we just give him a round of applause and honor him? Thank you. Man, that was so powerful. It's the second time I've watched it, so I got a sneak peek, and uh, it wrecked me again. <laughs> just emotionally moved me. So if you don't know who I am, my name's Austin Ludwig. I'm the worship pastor here at Riverstone Church. Um, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know one another today, you're going to get to know me really well uh, because I get the opportunity and the honor to share my testimony with you. Um, I've been the worship pastor here going on three years, and uh, and uh, I've been coming to Riverstone, been on staff for about five years. And so I'm honored to get to uh, give you a little peek beyond the veil and the, to get to share my life story with you. I just thank Tom and, and all the staff for giving me this awesome opportunity. Um, so if you know me, I move at a fast pace. So there's gonna be a lot of content today. I'm gonna talk about my personal story. And then I just wanna share with you like just a, a message about testimony and the power of story. Um, so my prayer is that Holy Spirit deposits into you exactly what you need today, that, that you're actually going to leave this room uh, changed and completely different. I pray that there's already something stirring in your heart and, and that, that this morning is going to be a morning of transformation. Um, so I'm going to share my testimony, and I'm just going to lay out the bullet points kind of my early childhood so that I can get into the meat of the story. Um, so at the age of four years old, my parents got divorced my entire home life growing up was, was really crazy. It was messed up. It was really dark. And a lot of this was just because my father struggled with substance abuse his entire life, doing hard drugs, various drugs, and, and, and got into to alcoholism as well. And so as a resu- just a, a result of this, things got really violent in our home. There was a lot of abuse, a lot of crazy stuff that took place. Uh, we were dirt poor, you know, and this never really changed throughout my entire life. Uh, We went through evictions and government housing. We lived off food stamps and welfare. And our our entire life, we just constantly were in a place of lack. And it was just really difficult. And things got really, really bad. Like I said, my parents got divorced. My mom picked up, took me and my siblings and moved away to get away from this toxic environment. And over the next couple of years, there was a lot of custody battles. I moved back and forth countless times. I remember my fifth grade year, I, I went to four different elementary schools in my fifth grade year. That's just an example to show you, like, it was hard to maintain friendships and relationships growing up. There was just no stability whatsoever. Um, and, and things just kind of began to escalate and got worse and worse. By the time I was in the seventh grade, I, I had a front row seat to to three different divorces. Both my parents got remarried and, and divorced again. And, and my entire life, I just remember being in and out of courtrooms constantly, having to testify on the stand as a young boy against my father, against my mother, just being put in this very awkward situations, countless encounters with the police, watching my father come and go from jail. And, um, you know, defects the entire life. Like my childhood, I don't remember a time when defects wasn't a part of my childhood. I had probably over 10 caseworkers throughout my childhood growing up, and it just became what was my normal at that time. So in the seventh grade, this is when things kind of reached the precipice, the climax of my story, I would say, uh, over the next two years when things got really, really, really rough. Um, my mom, you know, tried to move us closer to home and, and after a few custody battles and she exhausted her resources, um, she, she ended up um, just moving away to get away from the toxic environment. Um, and now in hindsight, I applaud her. Like the, she, her story and her life is a testimony of what God can do because now she's, she's, um, she's just 
recovered and healed and is actually doing ministry. Um, but at this time, when I was in seventh grade, I was living with my father. He was a single parent at the time, went through his second divorce. So it was just my dad and five siblings, uh, my older sister and my, uh, my three younger siblings, and two of them uh, were only one and two years old at the time. And my, my father had gone through multiple jobs, in and out of jail, DUIs, and was, well, I wouldn't even say he was a functioning alcoholic. He, he was literally to the point of, of becoming a non-functioning alcoholic. And things reached uh, just a climax of abuse in the home. I could go just on countless stories of things that would kind of, you know, blow your mind that are really heavy, you know, and we, we, we got drug around on the floor by our hair. We got hit, thrown down the stairs. It was just a militant, just disgusting form of discipline and consequences we had. I remember one time when I was in seventh grade, um, uh, you know, I was, I was like 12 going on 13 at the time. And no matter what, for consequences, we'd have to run laps around the block, no matter what time of day, if my dad you know, would say, run a lap, you'd had to run a lap. And so we were really in shape as kids, actually. <laughs> but, um, you know, I remember one time it was like one in the morning and my dad was in a drunken stupor and he said, run a lap. And I was in nothing but my underwear. I was not wearing any clothes. I was barefoot. It was the middle of February and I had to go run laps in the rain at one in the morning. You know, it was just neighbors or on their, you know, we live in a rough neighborhood and they're just from their front porch, you know, yelling at me, mocking. So just like really dark, messed up, heavy stuff just to give you a grid of what it was like to live in this home. So things didn't get much better um, because my father was in and out of jail, had a number of DUIs. Um, He was on probation. He got his license revoked and he couldn't do drugs anymore. Um, so he resorted to becoming this, this raging, non-functioning alcoholic. And because of this, my younger siblings, they're one and two years old at the time, we, we had to step up. We had to grow up really quickly and take care of them. Um, my older sister, she was 16. She dropped out of high school. And myself, I was 14 at the time. I never enrolled in high school. I never went to my freshman year of high school. We lied to defects and said that I was homeschooling. Um, and we took care of our siblings um, father wasn't functioning, so we would prepare meals. We would take them to daycare, take them to doctor's appointments. Um, and we were really poor at the time. You know, our power got cut off for extensive periods of time. And, and we, um, at times, would have to heat up water on the stove and, and on the gas stove so that we could give them baths that weren't freezing. And it, it was just really rough. But the one thing that was an escape from all the chaos during this season of my life, the one thing that was like a saving grace was actually the local church. My sister and I, we, we were actually plugged into a local church where we uh, got the opportunity to lead worship for the youth group when I was 14 years old. And also our younger siblings, they would actually go to our, our grandparents' house on my stepmom's side on the weekends. And so it gave us a break from, from having to be, you know, play parent, right? So we, on the weekends, would take this old conversion van and we would drive up to this house of prayer in Cartersville. And they would let us lead these really late worship sets at this house of prayer in Cartersville, my sister and I. And this is where I would say that I began to cultivate a true relationship with God that was my own because my parents actually were in ministry their entire lives. They met out of ministry school. So I had this totally whacked out perspective of Father God all this weird manipulative twist of stuff, you know, we're in church ministering as a family one, one day and at the age of 10 years old and then the next you know, the same day, there's just abuse happening in the home. 
so it distorted my perspective. So as I, I got plugged into this ministry, they let us lead worship on the weekends. We would drive up there. We would lead worship, and we were in this community, and I just began to start to get this fresh foundation of who God was. And it was th- things were so bad at home that sometimes we would just stay the night there. We would sleep in our conversion van because it had those old seats that would fold down, you know, in the back. And so we would stay the night because we didn't want to go home. We'd sleep in the parking lot. And of course, like eventually people at this house of prayer started to pick up on the craziness that was going on in our home life. So we always had to go home, you know, because somebody had to take care of our siblings and, and the cycle always continued. Um, you know, you might be thinking, well, man, like, why, why didn't you guys like end up in state custody services sooner? Like, how do you not hear, you know, my entire life, I was taught to lie, to lie to, to caseworkers, to defects, to, to say, oh, those markings, those bruises, that's from me skateboarding, you know, just so, so it was a long time before we ended up in custody. Um, but one day, uh, I was going on the age of 15. I was out skateboarding with my friend for his birthday, stayed in the night's house, and I came back. And the whole house was locked, the lights were out, and on the front door was a, a notice, and it said, state custody services, looking for Austin Ludwig. And so what took place, actually, in my absence is, is in the night, a SWAT team came in and arrested my father, charged him for multiple uh, child abuse, felonies, drugs, all of it, and he went to jail. My siblings and I, we ended up in state custody and foster care. Um, and this was like the lowest of lows, like I hit just like a crazy rock bottom place at such a young age, but still like held on to my faith and trusted in some sense that like, like God was going to do something and he's going to take care of us. And he did. There was a divine appointment. Um, as I said, we were plugged into a local church. And at that local church, my sister and I were involved in the youth group. And there was a couple in that church. And they were actually Winshape foster parents. If you haven't heard of Winshape Homes, Winshape Homes was founded by Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. And Winshape Homes is a Christian foster home organization uh, that has a model that's focused around Jesus. And so this family that was in the church heard about what happened we were friends with some of their kids that they had in their home in the youth group, and they heard about what happened. And so they actually pursued custody of us. Winshape decided um, to, to, to go to court and to fight for custody for my, for my sister and I, because my younger siblings actually ended up getting out of the system, and, and my, my stepmother's parents, so our grandparents, ended up getting them, but they weren't able to get custody of us. So my sister and I were still in the foster care system, from a group home to state homes, bouncing around. But then by the grace of God, Winshape Homes got custody of us. And so this is the time where I moved into Winshape Homes. It's in Rome, Georgia, out at Berry College. And for the first time in a long time, I felt something that was so unfamiliar. And it was just the ability to be safe. It was this, this time to step back into to innocence that was lost. I didn't have to play adult anymore. I, I, could, I could be a 15-year-old boy, you know? And like it was like the whole world was in reverse because I had to backtrack and relearn how to be a, a child again and that it was okay. And so I lived with 12 brothers and sisters at the time, 12 foster brothers and sisters. And through the next three years, God began to heal me. As I said, I didn't go to freshman year of high school. So in the summers, I went to summer school for the next couple of years so that I could graduate on time with my class. And I ended up graduating on time with my class in 2012. So from there, I ended up coming to Kennesaw State University, KSU, go Owls, graduate of the system. Come on, any alumni in the room? God bless you. He's got a double portion for you today. Um, so, 
So I went to KSU and through that, really quickly through that, I, I found out about, about Riverstone. I found out about Dwelling Place. I got connected with a college ministry called Dwelling Place, even before it was like a Riverstone's official uh, college ministry. And I met Mason and Hannah Tanner, which is Tom and Melissa Tanner's uh, son and daughter-in-law. And through this relationship, my entire life was changed. I got plugged into a community where I was able to develop. I was able to be discipled. I was able um, to just like be for a while and learn how to be put back together again. And then as I integrated into Transformation Network and Riverstone Church, I discovered what it meant to be whole. I actually started getting sozos and began to learn about the nature of God and how he had a life for me that was better. And he began to exchange the brokenness of my past. And through time, things evolved and I came on staff. And over a couple of years, I became worship pastor. And so here we are today. And that's my story. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So the truth is, is that for so long, I wasn't able to share that story. For such a long time, when I would look back at my past, it was a place of pain. I viewed my history through the lens of these open wounds that I didn't know how to heal. I know it sounds like I, you know, was a victim of this difficult childhood, and then all of a sudden I integrated into church world, and now I'm a good Christian. That's not the case. I had so many lows, so many times where I was in a a culture day-to-day that I was ashamed of that I lived, that started to do things and mess with substances like my father And that was because I was viewing my past through these these open wounds and through pain. I was so angry for so long. Many of you, many of you like in this place have have walked with me for a long time and you actually knew me before I like journeyed into this healing and letting go of some of this anger. And God just began to, to reveal to me that like a lot of my feelings, if I was sad, if I was depressed, it all just funneled into anger, right? And when all the symptoms look the same, it's hard to find like the origin of where the pain is coming from. It was just anger all the time. And like many of you here, what happened is my pain lied to me about the nature of God. It lied to me about who God the Father was. Not only that, but it lied to me about who I am. It lied to me about my relationships and made me keep my guard up constantly. And to survive and, and to do church world and religion, after a while, I had to stay numb. I had to become numb because I, I couldn't handle the pain anymore. I didn't want to touch the past because it was too painful. But what I realized over time is that we have to feel in order to heal. And, and, if, and if you're willing, Holy Spirit will take you by the hand and he'll walk back with you into your story. And he'll begin to redeem the broken pieces of your past. I learned that forgiveness is the first step towards healing. It wasn't the entirety of it, but it was the first step. And when I began to forgive, God began to heal me. The worst part about it was the pain. It skewed my perspective. And I believe that if we're going to take our story and watch God redeem it and turn it into a testimony, then we need right perspective. I know many people say like the past is the past and you can't change it. 
And, and, I, and I understand that, but if you'll get kind of philosophical with me for just a moment, I believe that actually our perception is our reality. And, and like it says in Proverbs 23, 7, like, so a man thinks, so he is. And what that means is not necessarily what we see with our physical eyes, but it's how we perceive things with our mind. And my mind was messed up. Everything in my life that I, that I saw was, was distorted And, you know, by the way we look at something, that defines the truth, right? Like if I show you this microphone like, like that, it looks like a, like a silver circle, maybe. <laughs> if I show you like this, you're like, oh, shoot, man, that's a cylinder, right? Like it, it looks completely different. Maybe not the best analogy, but the point I'm trying to make is the truth about the object that you're perceiving changes when you have a different perspective. And that pertains to your past that pertains to, to your relationships. When God can shift perspective, it also pertains to how you view Father God. If perception is our reality, he's not just changing what, but how we see. That means he's actually changing our history. In the word of God, it says that we put on a new mind, to put on the mind of Christ and that we can become a new creation. And that, friends, is what he did with me. Now, when I look at my life, all I can see when I look at my history is the goodness of God. I know that God is good. His word, his word said that he came to give life and life to its fullness. He came to give life and life abundantly. And I've seen that in my life. He didn't intend or cause the pain to happen of my story, but he for sure used every broken piece of my story to redeem it. He used it for my good and for his glory. Just like his word says that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. When I look back now, like the, you know, the world says the devil's in the detail. But when I look back, all I see is the fingerprint of God in every part of my story. I actually don't see the devil in the detail. I know the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's what he's about. He creates that chaos. But when I look back at my story and I share it now, it's not a story about how the devil came in and created chaos. It's a story about how God came in and he redeemed it and he was good in every single part and every single moment. Amen. I searched for such a long time for that, for that light at the end of the tunnel. I, you know, I cried out to God. I said, come deliver me, change my circumstances, get me out of the darkness. And he did, he did, he came. And there were so many divine appointments in my life. But what I realized too is in hindsight that he, he used the circumstances to shape me and form me. And I was able to step up on the potter's wheel and he took every single broken piece and he made something beautiful out of it. Now, when I look back, now when I reminisce and I remember, it doesn't lead me to a place of pain, but it leads me to a place of gratitude. And more importantly, it leads me to a right perspective about the nature of God the Father. He is exactly and nonetheless than who Jesus came to reveal him as, agape love, unconditional love, and he is good. I believe that when we begin to thank God for the difficult seasons we were once crying out to him to deliver us from, that's when we know we've experienced true transformation and have encountered the living God. And so this brings me to kind of my desire for this morning and the point for everyone here is just to talk briefly about what it means to testify. What is a testimony? We use that word in church world, right? But what, what does it truly mean? So testimony is simply this. It's a written 
or spoken word of what Jesus has done. In Hebrew, it says to do again. The definition of the word testimony in Hebrew is to do again. In Revelation 19.10, it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is either a foretelling or a foretelling, right? So a foretelling is, it's a download, a revelation about what God's going to do in the future. But a lot of times, prophecy can also be a foretelling. And a foretelling is actually to speak over your current circumstances and watch the power of heaven change it, right? To prophesy. Like when, a, when Elijah prophesied over the dry bones, he said, come alive. He, he spoke forth into his current reality and watched something happen. That's what happens with the power of testimony. It's charged with the power of heaven to alter our current reality. Because when we testify about what Jesus did, it's pulling heaven into earth because it's the living word. See, There is life and death in the power of our tongue. There are miracles in your mouth waiting to be let out. History is not just about what was, but testimony is actually more about what will be. Within our stories, we hold the breakthrough for our current circumstances, like what once was, what took place. And then when I see how Jesus redeemed it and what he did and the breakthrough he brought in my life, I take that testimony and I apply it to my current circumstances. But even better than that, a testimony is meant to be shared. I have a breakthrough that you can grab a hold of. If there's something that you are experiencing that you heard in my story today and I say, God changed my life and redeemed it, that is a prophecy for you to take a hold of. That is a breakthrough. Within our stories, we hold the breakthrough for someone else because testimony of Jesus carries the weight, the supernatural weight of heaven to alter our reality. I believe that God is the God of more and he's the God of multiplication. And what I want for us as a church and as a people is to begin to steward our testimonies and our stories. We build bridges that lead us into It's already done. Testimonies are the bridge that we cross over upon into our breakthrough. It is the foundation. We must recognize right history, right perspective with God to define our current circumstances and our future aspirations. And if you hear me say anything today, I want you to hear me on this. This is a huge part about why we worship, why we gather every Sunday to praise him. And it's this, the fruit from this season has seeds for the next If we recognize the fruit in this season, then we have seeds for the next because the seed is in the fruit. See, fruit is not just for consumption. It's for multiplication. It's to do again, right? So when we take the fruit from the season, when we slow down and we remember remember what God has done, we say, look at this good thing. We take that and it's a deposit for what he's going to do in the next season. We begin to testify it over our circumstances when they're difficult. I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a difficult year, right? And constantly over and over, I go back and I read over my journals, the stories of the things that God has done in my life because I needed the encouragement. The staff knows recently, man, I I went on a, on a personal retreat and I like looked just like spent time praying and, and reading back over. I was in like a clouded place and I was disappointed about a lot of things and I needed clarity about what God had to say about our current circumstances, And so I read back over these stories of what he's done in my life, and it completely changed the way I felt, the way I believed, the way I viewed everything that was going on, because I was able to remember the good things that he's already done. We should have testimonies loaded up like ammunition to fire at the attacks of the enemy. 
Because like the word says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And the devil and the enemy is trying to create chaos and confusion and distraction. But if we would slow down and remember and see what he's doing is good, that is, that is our, our weapon of warfare. A testimony that we once had becomes a weapon that we can use in the right now to say, God, you did this. My testimony for you today can be a weapon that you can take. You say, God, I know that you did it in Austin's life. And so actually you can do it again in mine too. It's a breakthrough you can grab a hold of. So the question is, I, you know, we're all witnesses. I think a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us in this room today, we've witnessed Jesus in many ways in our life. But are we witnesses who testify? You know, there is so much floating around in the media, lots of false narratives, manipulation, deception, so many things going on in the world right now. And we're, we're beginning to redefine good and bad. We're beginning to, to shift the narrative, right? And, and so I believe as a church, it's time for us to be a part of the conversation. If we're going to disciple nations, it's time that we be a part of the conversation and set the record straight because there's things going around about, about who Jesus was and who he's going to do. There's even certain religious sects in the church who are trying to get people into the kingdom of God through fear instead of love. And we've got to set the record straight, right? We've got to say it's about the love of God. So we need to begin to speak up and set the record straight. T.D. Jakes says this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says, if, irrational, if, if rational men and women do not begin to speak up, then irrational men and women will rule the narrative. So let me ask you this. Is, is, is our silence compliance? That's not a political statement. I began to see it in the media, right? And I said, God, what do you think about this? But then he began to shift it. And he said, well, what if our silence is compliance? What if when we don't testify and speak up, what if, what if we're not making a difference in bringing heaven to earth when we really could? That's the importance of testimony. You know, this happened back when Jesus was in the middle of his ministry. He, uh, he was getting famous, you know, he was, he was healing people and his name was spreading all throughout the, the land, you know, and people were saying, oh yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a prophet from old. And people were like, nah, he, he's just a really good teacher. Like he's a really good communicator. And some were like, nah, that dude's a sinner. Like he's a drunkard, you know, he's, he, he's like, he's messed up or he's working for the devil. So all these narratives were going around. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Messiah, right? And Jesus says, man, like that was totally from God. That, <laughs> that wasn't you, Peter. That, that was a revelation from, from, from the spirit. But I feel like we're in this place again. We're in that same spot where Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, who do you say that I am? Do you say anything at all? Are we gonna speak up? Will we testify? This is for the church, for those who, who, who say, I am a saint. I've, I've seen, I've witnessed God in my life. Do you have a story? But even better, do you have a testimony? So I know many of you say, man, like, it's hard. Like, I, I don't like talking to people. I'm not a good communicator. I, don't, I can't articulate well. I don't even have this awesome, crazy story. You know, I need, I need like 30 or 45 minutes to communicate my testimony, right? But I actually think it's a lot more simple than that. It really is. You can share a testimony in like 30 seconds, maybe even 15 seconds. In Isaiah, it says, 
that he gave us beauty instead of ashes. He gave us joy instead of mourning. He gave us a garment of praise instead of heaviness. Instead, 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 instead. It's the gospel of instead. It's the gospel of this beautiful exchange where he takes what was and he gives us something better in its place, right? That's the power of the cross. And that's what testimony is about. It's like the contrast of what was, seeing what was and seeing what is now. It's like a coffee with dessert, right? You like a lot of people like them together because you can taste the different flavors. But I'm going to give a simple layout, just this is the very practical part of today for all of you that I want you to try and take and apply. It's three steps on how to share a testimony. So the first step is, there was a time in my life when, fill in the blank. There was a time in my life when I was anxious. There was a time in my life when I was depressed. There was a time in my life when I was angry. Fill in the blank. Second step is the easiest step of all. Second step is, then Jesus. Then Jesus. Then I encountered Jesus. Then Jesus. It can be as simple as that. And then the third step says, now I am fill in the blank. Now I am at peace. Now I am redeemed. Now I am made whole. Now I'm a new creation. So there was a time in my life when I was anxious. Then Jesus, now I'm a person of peace. There was a time in my life that I was depressed. Then Jesus, now I experience joy and I'm an optimist. So it's that simple, right? We just got to get out of the way. Like we can't make it about our performance. Like it, it can be really short, but if it's a testimony of Jesus, it is charged with the supernatural power of heaven to alter somebody's situation. You're prophetically giving someone to, something to grab onto. It's not about how good we can do. He's the one who's going to do the work, just that we start doing it because it, it plants a seed, it plants a deposit. Amen. So um, what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to invite like um, just, just the worship team right now to come up as I'm kind of landing things. Um, and I just want to take a moment. I was going to read it. I actually didn't put any verses on the screen today, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the verses on Facebook later on today um, so that if, if I actually encourage you to go back and read, you know, there's going to be about 10 to 15 verses about just like what this all came from today. And, and I would love for you to go back and check it out. But today I want to talk to Riverstone. I want to talk to the Riverstone people. If you've been here for, you know, 15 years, if you've been here for one year, if you've been here for two weeks, but if you say, this is my home church, I identify with Riverstone Church. And if you don't, we just want to say to you, if this is your first time to hear, like we welcome you just as Jesus would. We say that you're loved and, and, and that, that we want you to find a place where you belong. If it's not here, that we, we pray that you find a local church where you can get plugged into and a place where you belong. But for our Riverstone people, I want to remind us about our name, about our identity. So as we know, it comes from the story uh, with, with the Israelites being delivered out of 400 years of bondage and slavery, right? They, they come out of slavery, they get delivered with Moses, and then they go into the desert, right? And they're supposed to inherit the promised land. Like the journey from, from, from Egypt across the land of Canaan to the promised land was supposed to only be like 11 days. And it ended up being 40 years that they wandered in the desert. They didn't step into the promised land because of why? Because they forgot the things that God has done. Because they looked ahead of them and they saw what was going on in the promised land. And they said, man, that's too big. These giants are too big. And they were freaked out. And so what it ended up doing is, is they didn't have the testimonies to empower, to prophesy over the current circumstances until the Joshua generation. 
And all throughout my life, like I've gotten these different prophetic words from people. And that's been an awesome, like, like a reoccurring theme is that, that, that I get to go in the spirit of Joshua and see him establish, see him establish his promises in people's lives. And so what happens is Joshua and his people, you can go back and read it. It's in Joshua chapter four. They're about to cross the Jordan River and, you know, they start to cross it and they've got the Ark of the Covenant. And I just think it's cool. Like God, there's all these like funny nods. I feel like from God, like he splits the waters again, right? He's like, oh yeah, I already did that at the Red Sea. But it's almost like a reminder of to them 40 years prior saying, do you remember? Right? And he st- they're crossing the Jordan River and he tells the Israelites to, to, to grab 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel and to take those stones and to set them up as memory stones so that when generations to come, when they asked, what do these symbolize? They would say that it's a story about what God did here. It's a story about God's goodness. It's a testimony. The word Riverstone is like an Ebenezer. It's a testimony of God's goodness. And that is who we're meant to be as a church. Riverstone Church, our calling is to testify. Our calling is to, to share the word of God and what he's done. I believe that untold stories, they enable the next generation to repeat the same mistakes. And the worst mistakes that we can make are actually not learning from our previous ones. But what if the generation after you doesn't have to experience the same mistakes? What if when we testify, they don't have to go through the pain that that you might've gone through? What if it could catapult the next generation into the more of God? What if our ceiling could be the next generation's floor and so on and so forth. It's about heritage. It's about inheritance. It's about passing on the baton. It's not just about sharing our testimony, but it's about teaching our children to also share their testimony. It's not just giving them a fish so they can eat for a day, but it's teaching them to fish for the rest of their life and then multiply that in other people's lives. Fruit is not just for consumption, it's for multiplication. And if that's true, then what I believe is that with one tree, we could actually feed the entire world as generations go on, right? Because the seed is in the fruit, which is on the tree. And you take that seed and you plant it. It grows a tree and then there's fruit, then there's seed, then there's tree, then there's fruit and so on and so forth. And that is the power of testimony. That's what we get to pass on. So I know there's a lot of different people here today. There's a lot of different stories in this room. And, and while I'm doing this, I just want to invite our ministry, our prayer teams to come forth, uh, to come up to the front. I know there's a lot of different people with a lot of different stories here. You know, some of you say, man, I've been in church my entire life. I don't have this crazy wild story. But if you know that Jesus has done something in your life, no matter what it is, if you've experienced any hint of transformation, it is a testimony. And he wants us to become witnesses who can testify about what he's done. If you're the person who is sharing and you're speaking out and you're, you're telling people the story of what God has done in your life, what he's done recently, what he's done yesterday, we should be cultivating a life where we continue to have new testimonies, right? To see God break in and break through Today may be your first Sunday in church in a really, really long time. 
It may be your first time in church ever, but what I believe is wholeheartedly that God is extending an invitation. It is the spirit of Christmas that he sent his son to earth. It was his outstretched arm as an invitation saying, you can be a part of this family. You can be invited into the gospel of the instead. That's why Jesus put on flesh and came to earth, was born as a baby in a manger because it was an invitation from God. Jesus says in his word, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. And no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, Jesus will always give you more access to himself. Even when you don't see breakthrough happening right now in your current circumstances, he will always give you more measure of who he is. There is more of him accessible in every single moment. Today, he's inviting each and every one of us into this gospel of the instead, into this great, beautiful exchange to take what was and to give us something better in its place. If any of you came in here today with anything that you don't want to walk out of, I believe not just that, I prophesy to you because he's done it with me, I prophesy to you that today you can take part in this beautiful exchange. You can leave your addictions at the altar. I don't care if you had a needle in your arm two weeks ago doing drugs, or if you were looking at pornography last night, he's as close as your turn to tension. Your shame cannot create separation from him. No matter if you had an argument with your wife on the way to church this morning, he's saying you can turn around. You don't have to run in this journey back home. It's as simply as turning and he's right there because he's the one who's pursuing us with his unrelenting love. And if God is stirring in your heart today, even as I'm talking, don't wait. I wanna invite you to come and get prayer this morning. If you just wanna stand up with me, if, you, if God is stirring something in your heart, just come and get prayer. Why don't we do this? Why don't all of us just take a moment and stand up? He says he stands at the door and he knocks. But the thing is, is his presence requires our access. And what I commission you to do today is to open up to what he has for you. No matter your story or the background you come from, he has something today. If you look back on your story and it is still hurting, it's still painful. Today, come and get prayer. I believe God can change your perspective and give you a new mind. So I just wanna do that. I just wanna invite people to come to the front. No matter who you are, it's not about, you know, if, if you're messed up, it don't worry about what people think. I want you to come and get prayer. If you feel him stirring something in your heart, if you want him to unlock the testimony in your life, just come to the front. So Holy Spirit, we just recognize your presence in this room right now, God. We honor your presence in this place, God. We know that you pursue us, God, and you want to invite us into the gospel of the instead. We thank you for the power of story, the power of testimony, God. I pray that you unlock testimonies this morning, Lord. We step into the beautiful exchange and give you what we have for something better. So come and have your way in this place. In Jesus' name.